All right, everybody, welcome back to the Davis Fitness Method Podcast. I'm just going to go. We're just getting into this headset, mic, time to work. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about some lats. Uh, not some lats, <laughs> the lats. Latissimus dorsi, to be specific. So um, we'll just briefly kind of cover uh, some things to focus on. We'll make this one real quick. Your lats, essentially, they, they attach the front side of your arm just below your deltoid or that shoulder. So, like, think the round ball at the top of your shoulder and then just below that where it meets your bicep. Somewhere around there. And then it, it goes around the back, back side of your rib cage, into what's your thoracolumbar fascia. Essentially, it, it uh, connects in through your spine via the fascia and then to the top outside portion of your pelvis. It's good to know because we know that it wraps around the rib cage, that creates a dimension that goes overlooked a lot of the time. Um, and that is the convexity of the rib cage. The fact that this barrel shaped thing um, can change, right? So from person to person, some people have a narrower rib cage. Some people have a rounder rib cage or sorry, narrower. I mean, flatter and some people have a rounder, um, that presentation is going to change how far back the arm needs to go in order to create um, a full contraction or a full excursion of that lat. So we'll get in, we'll get into some of that. Some, some considerations also to make are our passive of abilities to get into certain ranges. So if I don't have the range of motion through my shoulders to get my arm fully overhead uh, without arching my back. So keeping a neutral rib cage to pelvis relationship. So we want those two things stacked on top of each other, right? If I can't do that while I reach my arm up without shrugging my shoulder, turning my palms in or arching my back, that's going to be a problem because we need to do all those things in order to keep tension on the lats. So you might be asking yourself, Stephen, well, if I'm not using my lats when I do that, then what am I using? Well, almost anything else. So you might put yourself in a better position to leverage the bicep, your rear delts, your teres. Um, you might be using your traps, essentially. So really the, the distance covered for the lat is essentially what um, we can get in terms of moving our arm back. Um, so it is largely responsible for... Um, extension of our upper arm so getting our upper arm behind us and bringing that arm in close to our side and it is a tremendous internal rotator of the shoulder um, as far as internal rotation goes but what we want to consider is um, you you will use the lat to some degree uh, it's just which sections of the lat and um, and at what cost so we want to put you in positions where you're best going to be able to create um, and keep tension on the lat. So if we were to do this palms up test again, so if we had you with a neutral rib cage and a neutral pelvis, so essentially what that means is if we took the top of your pelvis and we lined it up with the bottom of your rib cage, those two things look stacked. If I look at you and it looks like you're stretching your chest up towards the ceiling as if you're a happy puppy waiting for you to get your belly rubbed, that's not a neutral rib cage to pelvis relationship. So we want to make sure that we pull the abs down a little bit so that 
that position is now neutral. Then from there, we take our hand straight out in front of us. We want uh, to fully extend that arm so our elbow is locked. And we want the palm face up towards the ceiling. Now, from here, we try to raise that up as high as we can. The moment like that pinky tries to turn, your shoulders start to shrug or your elbows start to bend. Um, we've already mentioned that rib cage, right? But this, the moment any of those things happen, we're no longer maintaining the position that we're looking for to keep tension on that lat. So that's likely going to limit our ability to get any further than that and access the lat well um, without uh, potentially creating torque on the elbows or shoulders, um, other things that we want to be watching out for, um, basically keeping good control of our scaps. So we're going to look there first. Now, once we've established what those ranges are, you might be asking yourself like, hey, but like this position is higher than my lap pulldowns, but shouldn't I be doing lap pulldowns? And that's where I would say like, we don't want to force feed an exercise. So ultimately, would we want you to be able to do pull-ups, chin-ups, lap pull-downs, all this stuff? Absolutely. Um, and could we modify those positions so that we could get into them given your uh, current passive restrictions? Absolutely. But should we be working towards correcting those passive restrictions? Yes. Um, so one of the first things that I'd probably have you doing is, you know, some form of a lat stretch. And then likely what's limiting your ability to um, keep that shoulder externally rotated is not just the um, tension in your lats or your pecs or whatever you're using uh, from a stretching or foam rolling. Essentially what those are are passive modalities. What we're going to end up doing is focusing on, yes, relieving that, but then also on the backside of that, literally the backside. You want to focus on the muscles of your upper back or, or rotator cuff. So training up our rotator cuffs to actually externally rotate the shoulder, then grading those positions to um, basically, if you're out, if you started with your elbow at your side, doing some cable external rotations, don't do it with a plate because that's not the way gravity works. Then we move um, that elbow further and further up away from our body, up towards our clavicle, shoulder, ceiling, whatever. And then we externally rotate from there. Great, now we're there. Now let's move into working that lower trap, working that serratus. Um, and these are muscles that we'll, we'll cover in depth at you know some other podcasts. But essentially we want to be working that up so that we improve the function of our shoulders while um, improving that passive range of motion. Then we can move ourselves into positions like the lat pull down. Um, so you might initially start with something that's not a a vertical cable from the ceiling or a vertical force uh, or purely vertical force like pull-ups or chin-ups but we'll work you there but what we could do is put you in a range like okay a high cable row so instead of the force coming straight up and down now it's more at an angle more in line with what we're seeing from your passive shoulder assessment um, or maybe you find a machine that kind of works in line with the area that we're looking to train up that would be important okay so Beyond that, we're going to look at a couple other things. Are we pulling more vertically or are we pulling more horizontally? And it's not that one is better than the other, but if we're trying to work our lat in all these you know, various uh, positions um, because we're going for a certain look, um, we want to target 
both the horizontal and vertical fibers of the lat. So we're probably going to want to train them in those positions. So if we're thinking horizontal, I probably want you thinking if the cable is coming from directly in front of me or if the dumbbell is, is positioned directly in front of me and I'm like looking down at the floor, that when you go to pull that, you're going to pull on a straight line that's going to work more of the horizontal fibers of your lat. And then if you're pulling more vertically, you're going to get more of those vertical fibers of the lat. So some um, variation between those movements is going to help with full development. And I don't necessarily think it should be like, oh, we're only going to train horizontal for some period of time and we're only going to train vertical for some period of time. What I would want you to focus on is kind of just keeping a mix of both of those throughout your program. Um, I think that that's going to best help you to, one, make improvements in those movements, and two, um, help you stay consistent with your development and keeping the muscles at a size or growing um, that you're aiming for. So, again, just going right off the dome here. So, you can train these um, bilaterally. There's... Um, so you can train them both arms same time. So let's say you did like a like a rowing machine, a cable machine, something like that, or we can train them unilateral. The benefit of doing some unilateral movements is is going to be the fact that unilateral movements often have um, a tremendous amount of co-contraction. So basically, you have muscles that are helping to support positions that you're training in in their not necessarily the primary focus, but we know that growth isn't necessarily just mediated at the level of the tissue that we're training. It's a centrally mediated process. So if we can get our nervous system more involved and get those more online, we're likely to get better contractions, understand our, our positions in space better, and grow stronger faster as a result um, from doing things that would have a higher stimulus given the co-contraction right um a and it doesn't necessarily have to be unilateral but um the less supported the more unilateral um you know the more that that's going to be involved in that process which is why something like a barbell row might not necessarily be like a great lat developer from the from what most people would deem a great lat developer, but it is because at the even though like it's strength uh, strength curve versus resistance profile, like basically the length tension relationships don't necessarily make it uh, the weight's the heaviest when you're pull, like when you get your arms into the weakest position. That's typically frowned upon, but in this case, it. It's actually not because of the co-contractions that are happening during the barbell row. So <laughs> I know that that, like, if you were to take in everything that we've said in other podcasts, how we're trying to line certain things up and all that, there's just this one consideration to make, which is, are there meaningful co uh, co-contractions that are happening during this exercise that would actually have quite a valid stimulus and I would say in this case yes um but like at the level of like the uh, a tricep kickback with a dumbbell 
meaningful co-contraction for the lat? Likely not. Um, so let's, let's jump back. So, um, I would encourage both athletically and, um, from a physique standpoint, incorporating some single-sided rowing variations. So everything that you're going to do basically for lats, you could either do a straight arm or you could do a row. Um, essentially that's it. Now the position of your elbows, the further adducted you are, the more your elbows move up uh, towards your side, the less you're going to be likely working your lats and you're going to start moving into your upper back. Um, the more your elbows are kind of below this 45 degree angle, more tucked into your side, the more it's likely going to be your lats. So if I go from reaching in front of me um, with zero degrees of adduction, like my elbow at my side, but I'm reaching directly in front of me to then pulling straight into my side. Um, so I pulled horizontally. That's going to be lats. The only difference is going to be how much my shoulder goes into flexion, how much my hand goes closer to the ceiling, and then how much it comes back down. But basically kind of working in that position to train my lat. So we've got horizontal rowing. We've got um, uh, vertical rowing or uh, chin-ups which is essentially just a row. Um, these are going to be, um, no matter what the position is, the default points are going to look very similar to that palms up test, right? So as I'm going through my row uh, and I get to that squeezed position, we're more likely to see my shoulder try to pop up at the end because it's trying to keep the lat in a strong position. So it's trying to keep it in its mid range. And so if I am challenged in that short end range, because I'm getting to the squeeze and my shoulder begins to pop up, it's because it wants to try to keep my lat in a good position. Um, and that the lower traps are going to kind of struggle to keep the shoulder in a good spot as all that force is forces being applied. And more of those loads are being required to be stabilized by that section of the shoulders. So if we're getting to the row and our shoulders start to pop up at the end and you're like, oh, I don't really feel a strong squeeze there, that would be the first thing that I would kind of focus on. Now, the next thing, which is a huge mistake that people make in rowing is the adjustment in moment arm. So we've talked about this in length for other muscle groups, but it's really true of the lats as well. But the greater the degree that my arm is bent. So the more you flex your bicep, the more likely the bicep is going to be involved and the less likely that your lat is going to be the thing that is meaningfully stimulated um, because that reduction in moment arm limits how much tension you can actually place on the lat. So watch to make sure that you're not you, we don't want to overdo it the other way either, right? Because the opposite would be, okay, now, well, I straightened my arm. It's a huge moment arm. And now it's, it, yeah, yes, you got the lat, but now you're limiting how much loads you can use. And there's two things that you want to do when you want to grow. You want to lengthen it and you want to load it. And those two things aren't always going to happen together, right? So you could create more length on a muscle, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll be able to use more loads or you can load it more but then that might not necessarily mean you get more length. There is, um, what I will say is probably a happy medium for that loading position. 
And then you'll probably have to go a little bit lighter for things where you're, you are creating a bit more length. If we understand that, then we can kind of program those appropriately to focus on those areas at different times, not all in one movement. And where we can, we'll try to maximize both of, both of those things. But that is not likely to happen as often, just the way that the body works. A um, couple other things that people do to kind of kill their row. So when we do those unilateral movements, what we do end up seeing a lot of the time is that people will kind of collapse through their core and they end up kind of pre-squeezing the lat because they know it needs to get to this squeezed position. So they kind of arch from the side. It's almost like they're um, squeezing to keep a book against their side or they're kind of like their whole waist goes in like you create a C, C shape laterally. And we don't want to do that because even though it gives us the sensation, the squeeze that we're looking for, it's uh, you're getting there before the the load is really meaningful. And um, and remember, we said that there's a convexity to the rib cage, right? So if the first thing that I do is I just kind of pre-shorten this side, and as that arm starts to come back, yeah, I got that squeeze and I got there early, but I didn't get the length that we were talking about, right? So if I get to the squeeze early, that means I didn't create the length that would have been or provided a meaningful amount of tension, right? Because tension is what makes muscle grow. If we're moving weights, but it doesn't put tension on the muscle that we're attempting to target, it's not going to grow. I can hold a weight and try to perform an exercise and not get that tension applied to the tissue that I'm attempting to train if my execution is so far off. And I would say, like, let's say for every pound you're using, there's a certain amount of units of tension per the muscle that you're looking to evolve. And now the further off your form is and the less optimal your positioning is, the less units of tension. And so at first, what might look like, oh, but I had to drop weight. Well, okay, so per the units of tension being applied, um, you weren't actually, you were getting a very small percentage and then as you got better with your technique, you took more of those actual units of tension and placed them on the muscles. So even though you went down in weight, you actually are adding more tension to the tissue that you're attempting to train because you were more effective. Like closer to 100% of that weight is now affecting that muscle. Let that sink in a little bit. So even if I used, let's say I used a 50 pound dumbbell. I used to row, let's say I used to row a hundred pound dumbbell, right? But my form was garbage. I'm using a ton of um, momentum. Like I'm swinging this weight. And even though that arm kind of comes back, the amount of time that that muscle experienced the tension is very short. Um, so let's say that I got 40 units of tension. Well, let's say I dropped 50% of the weight, right? Anybody would acknowledge that that is a crazy amount. Or, yeah, that's a crazy amount to drop. But now let's say I, I dropped to that 50 pounds, but I get 95%, right? I'm going to be over that 40 pounds I was getting before of effective tension. But now I'm getting an effective stimulus through the entire range of that movement. Sure, I might get exhausted more quickly, 
Um, and it feels unreasonably hard considering the amount of weight that I dropped off, but I'm doing it properly and it's going to result in me growing. I think that there's a difference between if we look at somebody who is a seasoned professional doing certain exercises and it looks like there is a little bit of body English, you have to look at when it's happening in the movement and why versus if you look at what would be a novice lifter doing the same thing, they're just using it to get more loads. But often the the load relative to the lifter um, is far greater in novice lifters, right? Because they they they're trying they're attempting to progress load when that is not the necessary step at this point in their training. Whereas like so like if you see a, a bodybuilder who's 260 pounds and they're rowing a hundred pound dumbbell with a little bit of body English versus you take the 150 pound um, high schooler who's attempting to row the 80 pound dumbbell. It's like, well, this makes no sense. Uh, He's clearly not going to be strong enough, even though he's moving it, he's clearly not going to be strong enough that this grows his lats, right? He's moving it. Something's probably going to grow or he's going to grow tired of doing the exercise. Um, but that's the difference is like, if he's using that load to attempt to grow versus I just want to move this thing Two totally different activities. Okay. Just cause you're moving something doesn't guarantee something is going to grow because we need to get that specific target muscle stimulated to the level where there's an appropriate amount of fatigue so that it will respond by growing. Not not just because you're exhausted from moving. Okay? Those are two different things. Um, Other things that we can focus on with our lats is obviously like avoiding rotating too much. The more I'm rotating or twisting, the less likely I am to keep tension on that lat at the appropriate time. Now, having some twisting and kind of moving with intent can be useful given the fact that the lat does wrap around the rib cage so if like I'm going for my lat pull down and I let the weight kind of pull around me so that my arm comes more in like to the center of my chest a bit and then as I come back around maybe I twist just a little bit so I can come back to get into that shortening range towards the end that's okay Now, if you're using that to drive momentum, you use your obliques to help you twist, you're using your hips to help you twist, um, you start extending your back early, that would be problematic. Now, in terms of, you know, volume and how much of this, it's the same essentially from all muscle groups. We're attempting to get in a minimum effective volume, probably somewhere around 10 sets per muscle group per week. I don't recommend doing 10 sets in a single workout. So spreading that out across a couple of workouts is probably superior to doing 10 sets in a single workout. That being said, if you stopped responding to 10 sets, and here's how you know you're not responding, right? I'm eating enough, I'm sleeping, and my weights seem to have plateaued, right? What we would then do is if those other things are in check, now 
potentially adding a little bit more food and that could see if that does the trick. If that doesn't, right, but our weight is still going up but we're not getting stronger, what we want to do in that instance is then add volume. So this would be via sets or repetitions. I personally would probably try to increase the amount of total sets that we are doing. The repetitions, um, if you're going up in those already, great. You don't necessarily need to add volume. But if those stop moving, we do want to add more sets because that's going to kind of force us to continue to grow, right? And and we might no we might no longer be responding to the ten sets per muscle per week, and maybe we need twelve. That's a very easy um, adjustment. We just don't want to push everything up too fast or be too impatient. So I'd probably wait, me, you know, give yourself a week or two if you've been training for a little bit, maybe three. And then maybe, oh, now it's just maybe my reps go up less frequently. And I don't think you're going to be able to force that. I don't think as you get more advanced and without the, the help of drugs that you're going to be able to just keep pushing, 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 pushing. And it's going to every week just go up, 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 up. Sometimes it's going to be push, 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 one, and then finally it goes up. Push, 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 finally it goes up. That's going to happen sometimes, and that's okay. You just keep training hard. You just keep focusing on improving your technique, and it just becomes more about this masterful pursuit of exercise and less about I'm going to see progress every time I go to the gym. That, that happens early in the career, but you have to know that somewhere down the line, it's going to be less likely. And maybe your execution always gets better, right? That would be in some way progress. So even though I got eight reps, if I did eight reps better the next week, that's still progress. It just might not look as linear on a piece of paper because you're not measuring all of the metrics, right? From tempo um, to the um, moment arm to the range of motion. Uh, these are all things that you aren't necessarily tracking in a workout sheet that actually matter. If you're just counting reps, sets, and weight, then the only metrics that you have is how many times a dumbbell was moved in space, not at what range of motion, not at what tempo, not at you know the effective moment arm, which would in our example earlier, help us to derive how many units of tension were placed on a specific muscle, those all make a huge difference. So if we're not tracking them, then how do we know? And I'm not saying, you know, you need to go uh, record them and get them analyzed by AI or anything like that. But the thing is, is you pay attention to them and you make note of it, then we can actually say like, hey, you're getting better. And you can have some solace in that. Look, I know that it can get a little bit more uh, granular in the breakdown of these things. If you have questions, I'm happy to answer these on the Q&A. Just basically when it comes to the lats, pay attention to your rib cage. Um, you get, you know, get a good stretch around the rib cage, row vertically, row horizontally, find the appropriate positions for you, do it with enough volume. Um, find some things that give you some meaningful co-contractions. The last thing, um, because we know that the lats go over that rib cage, 
little pro tip here. When you're doing your rows, take a big breath. When you're in that stretched or reach position, flex your abs, flex your obliques so the front and side of your stomach is tight. Take a nice breath in. That's going to expand the rib cage. And because we said that the lats uh, had a convexity element to them, it is going to put some stretch on the lats, which will allow them to get a novel stimulus for growth because they're in a more lengthened end range than they would be if you're exhaled in that position, right? So take that breath in. Out, right? Cool. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I saved that best one that juicy tip for the end because you are the one who deserves it. You who listened all the way through. Now, if you enjoyed the podcast, I really hope that you would share it with someone, maybe somebody who's trying to grow their lats, um, like it, you know, anything that you can do to help support us, allow us to grow is going to help us to better spread this information so that more people in the gym can get more out of their experience there. And uh, so that I can continue to provide you with episodes that help you. So thank you for listening and I'll catch you on the next one.